The following program does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Reality Radio 101, its advertisers and sponsors, or its listening audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, here on Reality Radio 101. In this radio show and podcast, we learn about fruit trees, permaculture, arboriculture, and so much more. So if you love trees, and especially fruit trees, or if you're interested in living a more sustainable life, then this is the place for you. I'm your host, Susan Poisner of the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner. To contact Susan live right now, send her an email in studio101 at gmail.com. Now, right to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. Hi, everyone. Well, this is the first live post-COVID-19 episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, and things are a little bit different now. I'm not actually in the studio. Instead, I'm recording here at home and connecting to the studio at a bit of a distance. My hope for this show today and into the future is that it will still sound great, but that we'll also continue learning together about fruit trees, food forests, permaculture, and arboriculture. And even in these challenging times, my hope is that this show will continue to bring some sunshine into all of our lives. And this is thanks to the wonderful guests who agreed to come on the show to teach us how to be better stewards of our fruit trees and of our gardens. So welcome to the show today, everybody. Today's special guest is Christina Curell, cover crops and soil health educator from the Agriculture and Agribusiness Institute at Michigan State University. Christina is going to tell us what cover crops are and how we can use them to improve the health of our trees and other plants. She'll also explain the role cover crops may play in mitigating the damage that's caused by extreme weather events that scientists have linked to climate change. But before we dive in, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this show live, you can send in a question or a comment to my expert guest. You can also just email us to say hi and we'll enter you into today's contest. Today's prize is a copy of the book, Natural Gardening for Birds, Create a Bird-Friendly Habitat in Your Backyard by Julie Zikfos and the editors and writers of Bird Watchers Digest. It's valued at $14.99. Now, to enter the contest, just send your email right now to instudio101 at gmail.com. That's instudio101 at gmail.com, and I look forward to hearing from you. So on the line is Christina Curell. Thank you, Christina, for coming on the show today. Thank you for inviting me. 
It's great to have you. Now, can you tell me, we've been talking about cover crops for a while, but what are cover crops? How would you define them? So cover crops are crops that we plant that is at a different time or used um, for a different purpose than what our agronomic or our main crop is. So for orchard trees, it would be different. It would be grasses and legumes and things that we would plant when we are not actually actively harvesting or working in our orchards. And we do them, for, we do it for various different reasons. Some of the reasons that we do it is very, is for the environment. We do it to an, an enhance biodiversity in, in the microflora of our soil. Uh, we do it to increase soil infiltration of water. Um, and then we do this because we can have less flooding issues, uh, leaching a runoff of both nutrients and chemicals. Um, it, we can do it to create wildlife habitat in instances when we need it or, or to attract honeybees and other beneficial insects. So there are so many benefits that come with cover crops and we'll go into more detail uh, during the show. But when you and I were talking, you were saying that it can, in some ways, there are some situations where cover crops can actually alleviate the challenges that we're facing as a result of climate change. So let's just put that out there. Is that actually possible? It can be. Uh, specifically now, if we look at some of the patterns in the last several years, we've seen an increase of huge rain events. Um, and, and we may be getting the same amount of precipitation during the year, but they're coming at different times. Instead of a nice gentle rain throughout the growing seasons, they're all coming at once. Within the you know, 24 to 48 hours, we're seeing massive amounts of precipitation leading to a lot of flooding. And what we're seeing in those in those instances where there's cover crops into the system, that cover crops can actually go in and, and hold that water, that water will infiltrate through the soil and it can be held in that root zone of those cover crop plants so that it's there. And when our cash crop needs it, when your trees need it, we actually have more water in the system. So that's one of the ways that we're seeing that um, cover crops can alleviate and increase water holding capacity. But you know, really when you're looking at huge rain events or snow events and, and runoffs, we see a lot of soil movement through runoff. If we have nothing on the soil to stop that water from running off into our lakes, rivers, stream, ditches, or anywhere than our fields, uh, that, that soil is gone. It's not there for us to use. We've lost that good, rich, highly organic topsoil, but cover crop will actually impede that movement. It'll hold that water there and hold that soil there. And that really is really important for all producers of any crop. Oh, it's interesting. Actually, we have a quick email from a listener, Mike. Hello, ladies listening from Regina, Saskatchewan. Love the show. Please enter me into the contest. Thank you. So thank you very much, Mike. You are first email today. So we really appreciate that. Um, so Christina, so you're saying that these cover crops can help us in times of extreme weather and you talk about flooding. Have you ever seen this firsthand or is this just something that people talk about? Oh, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own, um, my own area, my own fields. Um, I actually have family members who have discussed this and they were, you know, I don't know about anybody else, but I don't teach my own family and my own 
farming family how to do anything because they're not going to listen to me. They'll listen to the neighbor, but you know, not to me. But they had came back and they have talked about last year when we had some, we had some really hard, we had a hard spring and those fields that they had cover crops in because I went in and I, I planted it. I did it. They said those fields, they were able actually to get on those fields. And this is a row crop situation, but they were actually able to get in those fields that had cover crops on them a week before they could get on the fields that didn't have cover crops. Interesting. On them. Because those those fields that had didn't have cover crops on them were hard. They were they were they were muddy. They were wet. You can't you really shouldn't be farming on wet fields. Those that had cover crops, that water infiltrated down through the soil and got off the fields and they dried faster. Now I want to flip a switch here right now. So we're talking about an extreme rain event. What happens in an extreme drought? So in the extreme rain, the flood, these cover crops will soak up the water, the excess water. And, you know, we're thinking in terms of fruit trees, a permanent crop mm -hmm. that needs water. Are these cover crops actually taking water during droughts as well? Can they actually um, have a negative effect on our fruit trees? They can. You have to really be careful on the cover crops you choose. And we'll talk about that later into this into the broadcast. But one of the things that, that we really work with on a perennial system is putting in a cover crop that will hold that water into, the, into their system um, and, and actually move it farther through the subsoil, down into that subsoil, so that when the, the tree roots, where the tree roots are at, the water is available for them. And they're going to be a lot deeper than some of our grasses that we would probably use. So yes, it can steal the water in a drought situation, uh, but the key is to make sure that your, your trees, your roots are deeper, and that, that they can actually steal it first. We want them to get it first. So, so the key is to match up the cover crop with your, with your crop itself. And we can do that. And we'll talk about that because that's a science in itself. It's not just mm -hmm. standard uh, throw down any cover crop. We're gonna talk about how you choose that crop. Uh, we have a question here from Iva. Iva says, my question might not relate directly to today's topic. However, I would like to ask about an action I read about by a na nature charity that promotes native species and supports a healthy environment. They received a farmer field to transform into native habitat. The farmer was asked to plant soy to prepare the soil for the native plantings to follow. My question is, why soy? And what could be achieved by preparing the soil with this crop? Thank you. So soy, and I, I'm assuming we're talking about soybeans, are a legume. So what they probably are, are wanting the farmer to do is to put in a, some sort of legume that's going to help produce nitrogen. So legumes, they, they, have, they can pull the nitrogen from the air and they can store it in the roots, in the nodules, and they have a, a, a symbiotic relationship with, with, with a, a fungi that can, they can do that. We can do go ahead and pull that in. And I'm sure that that's what they're talking about is getting that soil prepared, getting some nitrogen in that soil so that when you follow it with, with your native plants, they'll already have some of that fertility in yeah. there. And, and Iva, it's such a good question because we've, we're touching, just starting to touch upon the various benefits of cover crops, but one of them is adding fertility to the soil, not just, you know, keeping water in the soil, but also adding fertility. So very interesting question. 
Another question we have here is from Cliff. Can cover crops be planted right up to the trunk of a fir tree? If so, which one would you recommend? Well, Cliff, what a great question. Um, and that, I've seen research both ways. I've seen research that says, yes, go right ahead and do it. It doesn't hurt your fruit trees. And then I've seen research that really suggests you not do that for various reasons. Um, I'm, if your fruit trees are established, if they have a good root system, the cover crop will not hinder nutrient uptake or water uptake, the tree's gonna get it first before the cover crop. The only issues that I have is you really need to look at your pest. You need to look at if you've got a lot of mole or moles, voles or mice or anything that's gonna girdle your trees because they live in the thatch of cover crops. That's where they live. So um, in um, instances where I get that question, I really look at if the farmer has issues with pests. If they have a good handle on keeping all of those mammals away, then you can do that. Um, but a lot of times I'm a little hesitant because I don't want to cause a pest problem. And cover crops can be a pest. They can also cause pest issues. So I don't want that to happen. So I very rarely recommend that fruit growers put their cover crop right up to the to the base of their trees. I do like a little bit of clean around around those trees for pest control and and, and also these disease controls. If I was going to do it, I would recommend a low growing cover crop, a low growing grass and legume mixture. I like I like a, a legume and a grass mixture just because the legume is going to help with the nitrogen fixation and the nitrogen production and grasses have a little bit deeper roots. So I would look at a low growing mixture of maybe like a, a white clover and a short growth grass. Um, you know, that's what I would do if I was going to do it. I very rarely, however, would recommend it, especially in newly established blocks. If you have a newly established block, I, I just, I'm hesitant to do it. Now, you're hesitant to do cover crops at no. all? No, you're just That's hesitant to plant right up to the trunk. Right of up your to fruit the trunk tree. of the tree, yep. Now, if, okay, so saying that, you're planting new fruit trees in your garden, in your orchard, how many feet away from the tree should the cover crop be? And how are you going to keep the area? Does it, will it creep into the clean area of just sort of blank soil yep. around the tree itself? Yes, 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 yes. So all those questions, it will creep in. I'll start. I'll start with that question. It will creep in, um, and and we're looking when we're looking at a perennial system. We're looking at a perennial cover crop, so it's a crop that we're not planting all the time. A lot of our cover crops are annuals, but we do have some perennial ones, and those perennial ones are are really persistent in the environment, so they will creep in. Um, and to, and I do recommend that you keep them clean. Um, if you use herbicides, you can. There's some herbicides that you can use to spot treat around your trees, um, you can do that. Uh, you can use some, you can look at some cover crops that don't like shading, you know, maybe that's an issue. Let's look at a cover crop that's not, that doesn't like the shade, so we will shade it out. What, what cover crop would not like the shade? So that, that's the key. There's most of them that we use would, would flourish in those situations. There's very mm -hmm. few. Um, and then when we talk about choosing cover crops, I'll go into a little bit more detail, but they really, most of them will creep into them, into that, to the area. If, if for people who aren't interested in herbicide, a lot of people, listeners are, you know, we only want to do organic. We want to minimize our chemicals. I guess we just have to weed as we would with grass. 
right. grass could, creeps as well, regular yep. grass. Or, or you could weed or mulch. You could put a mulch down, a blank, you know, underneath the tree. Then we get pesticides of that too, but that'll keep that cover crop out and shade it out. Um, you could do that. There's, there's a couple different ways that you could do it. So interesting. So um, there is a film called The Biggest Little Farm. And for those of you who are listening, please email us to tell us if you saw that film and if you liked it. In that film, it's incredible. It's a film about some city slickers that start a farm, sorry about that, and want to do it organically. And um, so in any case, cover crops plays a huge role in how they take this terrible land, how they transform it into a healthy land. And so just, you know, uh, with regards to everything we've been talking about, there is a role for cover crops, but these crops were also attracting pests. Now, I just want to clarify with you, Christina, are the pests eating the cover crops or are they creating their habitat there? So most of them are creating the habitat. Very few of them are actually eating it. So, so that's why, you know, it, there are instances where we are doing trap crops of cover crops around orchards, and that's where we, we do very specific plantings to trap, usually deer or other wildlife, and to try to keep them out of the orchard blocks. We're actually training them to come to a certain area where they'll have food year round. So we do different planting. Those are high. Those are high management situations. But we plant crops in there that they eat all year round. And, and what, they what are cover crops. crops. I get so many questions mm -hmm. about how do I keep deer away from my fruit trees. So what you're saying is somewhere far away from the fruit trees, you're planting a cover crop of what, and and will that feed the deer? Yeah. So so you've got to make sure you have enough. Um, so we plant crops that they really like. So we'll plant some some um, grasses. Uh, it, it's actually, if you know anything about forages or cattle production, it's pretty much the same thing that we would feed cattle. So we would have some grasses that they really like, some some rye and I do little oats, um, some high high value forages. Then we'll put in some brassicas in that system. We will put in things like um, oilseed radish, turnips, rapeseed, canola, anything, and, and those will give them um, some feed throughout the winter so that they stay out of the orchards in the winter so they're not harming the bark and they're not they're not chewing or gnawing on the trees. They're actually eating that food for them. Uh, we put in some legumes. We actually have really nice mixes and these are wildlife mixes that we do and it's, it's in a, it's, it's a couple acres. Um, we also have situations where we put them around the orchard blocks kind of like a barrier, hoping that they don't even go through it. Uh, another thing that this does is if you do the right plantings, it's also really nice pollinators. You can wow. get some cover crops. If you want certain pollinators, you can actually do some cover cropping for pollinators. Um, so so that, I guess you'd call that trap cropping because we're trapping in your bees. So, so we can do things like that. But those instances um, are very, very managed strongly. You've got to manage those because cover crops will become a weed problem if they're not managed. Uh -huh. So they are highly managed. Um, you can do it in a small area for really large. I wouldn't recommend it because you need a lot of them. But for if you have a small, just a few fruit trees, you probably could do that pretty successfully. And the goal is to get them trained to go to that area to, to feed. That's brilliant. Um, I love it. 
but but you know that also brings up an issue in Michigan. If you're in Michigan, we do have issues with TB in our and our deer population and our deer herds. So so we are actually increasing the instances or the probability of that disease being transferred in our our food systems. How how would it be transferred? This is tuberculosis. TB? Yeah. So so yeah yeah. So it's transferred um, from um, nose to nose contact when they're feeding. And it's on bait piles and things like that. So you got to be really careful and make sure that that if you're going to do something like that, local laws allow you to do it. Wow. Well, that's really incredibly interesting. A different way to consider luring those deers away from your fruit trees. We've got a question here from Alice, tuning in from the United Kingdom. Um, she says here, if your guest doesn't already cover this as she goes, I wanted to ask Christina. One, is there a handy resource somewhere that we can look up the ideal tree-plant combinations that are beneficial depending on the tree type? Some say tables, uh, say some tables, etc. Um, like you can already find for vegetable companion planting. Hmm, interesting question. Hmm. Second question, I'm interested in elderberry elderflower growing and wonder, does she have some good suggestions for cover crops to go with those plants? So these are great questions. They are great questions. The first question is, I don't know of any resource for companion for orchards. Um, you may want to check your local resources to see if there's anything available. Um, that's a good question. Um, we are actually looking at something like that, but that's a lot of research. Um, and since everything I do is research based, I don't have that answer for you. Maybe we it have should some, be on your list. <laughs> maybe it should be. Um, and there are some, I mean, there, there, there's some things I would try depending on what you want to do, I would actually look at your, your, um, your trees, what pollinates them. So that's where I would start. If you have a, if you have a certain bee that's going to pollinate them, I would start there looking at a cover crop that that would be a host for the food. I would look at your soil type, um, what will actually grow in your soil. One of the things about cover crops is there's a lot of, I, there's a lot of varieties out there, but some of them just won't grow in your climate or your soil. So really, it's a waste of money to, to put those in. Uh, what's going? What other management practices do you want to do? Some of them are high, take a lot of management. Some of them take a little bit of management. And what other things do you want out of cover crops? Cover crops can give us a lot of different benefits. So what benefits do you want? Maybe what it? we'll do is, because again, these are fantastic questions. Mm -hmm. After the show, Christina, maybe you can send me a link to a few key resources. I know that yep. over, I have come across some great resources, which cover crops will attract which beneficial insects mm -hmm. or that kind of thing. And then I will put them, when I put the podcast up, I will put a link to those resources. Yep. What a wonderful question. And now we, yeah, sorry, go ahead. One of my colleagues in, in, in it's just Michigan is has a has a research. He's looking into that very question, um, and it's it's he's been doing it for a couple of years now. Exciting. So hopefully soon he'll have something that we, that's published that we can share. That's fantastic. So you, we've got a bunch more fantastic questions. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to dig in. Uh, but what I would love to do is let's hear a few words from our sponsors. 
So Christina, are you okay staying on the line for just a few minutes? Uh, yes, yes. Wonderful. Okay, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training Website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning fruit tree care book, Growing Urban Orchards, and we'll be back right after this break. Hi everyone, congratulations on investing in a new fruit tree. Fruit trees are a blessing. With just a bit of skilled hands-on care, they can give you plenty of delicious organic fruit for years to come. I'm Susan Poisner, an urban orchardist from Toronto, Canada. And over the years, I've learned that how we care for our trees when they're young will determine their success and productivity in the long term. If you do want to learn more, there's lots more that I would love to teach you, like how to prune fruit trees of all shapes, ages, and sizes, how to optimize tree health, and various different ways to protect your trees from pests and disease. So check out my website at orchardpeople.com where you can watch free videos and read great blogs about growing fruit trees or you can check out my online certificate in beginner fruit tree care, where in just eight hours, including fun and informative videos, interactive quizzes, and information-packed eBooks, you can learn how to keep your tree healthy and productive for years to come. Happy growing from orchardpeople.com. If you're listening to this show, you are passionate about fruit trees. But do you care how your trees are grown? Silver Creek Nursery is a family-owned business, and we grow our fruit trees sustainably using only organic inputs. We stock a huge range of cultivars, like Wolf River, an apple tree that produces fruit so large you can make an entire pie with just one apple. We also carry red-fleshed apples, like Pink Pearl, as well as heirloom and disease-resistant varieties of apples, pears, apricots, cherries, and more. We ship our trees across Canada, and we can also supply you with berry canes and edible companion plants to plant near your trees. At Silver Creek Nursery, we grow fruit trees for a sustainable food future. Learn more about us at silvercreeknursery.ca. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com.
And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You're listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show and Podcast, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care Training website, OrchardPeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner, author of the award-winning Fruit Tree Care book, Growing Urban Orchards. In today's show, we are talking about cover crops. These are crops that you can plant in farms, orchards, and gardens that will help you improve the soil, attract pollinators, that, and these crops may also help alleviate some of the challenges linked with climate change. My guest today is Christina Curell, cover crops and soil health educator from the Agriculture and Agribusiness Institute at Michigan State University Extension. Before Christina and I continue chatting, I would love to hear from you. So if you're listening to this show live, do send us an email with your question or a comment, or you can just write to say hi. And as a thank you, I will enter you into today's contest. If you win, I'm going to send you a copy of Natural Gardening for Birds, Create a Bird-Friendly Habitat in Your Backyard by Julie Zucfus and the editors and writers of Bird Watchers Digest, and it's valued at $14.99. To enter the contest, just send us an email right now with your question or your comment. Send the email to instudio101 at gmail.com, and remember to include your first name and where you are writing from. That's instudio101 at gmail.com. Okay, so Christina, we have talked about the point, the purpose of using cover crops. And um, we have got so many interesting questions. So let's go and do some more questions. Um, there's so many questions I have, but the listener comes first. Um, so here we go. We've got a question here from staff, interesting, from Silver Creek Nursery, who is one of the sponsors of this show. Thank you, Steph, for writing. Um, so Steph from Silver Creek Nursery writes, great topic. I'm sure you'll talk more on the show as the show goes on. I'm wondering if there are any cover crops you could recommend for orchards with regards to how they are managed. So for example, we have a couple of test orchards. One has a mix of grass and clover and it's kept mowed about once a month. Our more adventuresome orchard was planted in an old hay field. So it has a mix of alfalfa and clover but we just skyped it a couple of times a year and we've begun also planting other prairie grasses. If the orchard is mowed more frequently or less and or if the orchard is managed with more control or less, would you recommend different cover crops? Thank you for your insight, Steph. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she's doing quite a few like really neat experiments. So what, what are your thoughts on that, Christina? So at the minimum, uh, I really would like growers to mow once a year. Um, I don't think you need to mow that often. What, what you want to do is, is one of the things about cover crops and in a perennial system, you want to make sure that it's, it's always actively growing. If it's actively growing, then it's producing biomass, producing organic matter. And one of the things that the cover crops do is those living, those roots under the ground, they're actually feeding um, our microorganisms. They're feeding the, the fungi and the bacteria that makes our soil healthy. So we wanna give them continual food. So we wanna make sure those cover crops are growing. 
if you use, and, and I always recommend a legume and a grass at a minimum, a two-way mix. Uh, when you get to those, there, there's some people that they like to do the 12, the 14, the 16-way mixes. They're okay. Um, our, a lot of the research that we're seeing in Michigan is showing that if you have a, a three-way mix and you're getting just as good of a microbiological hit as you would if you have a larger mix, it's the three different types of species of plants you have. Um, so the, the more you, the more plants you put in the mix, the more management it's going to take to keep them all going. So we like to, we like to keep our management to a, when we're talking about cover crops to a minimum, because you have other crops you need to manage. So, so we do like to see those three-way mixes or two or three-way mixes, and um, and mowing them to keeping them growing is extremely important. Um, as long as the the grass specifically is actively growing. It's not getting really woody or ligniny, it's fine. But once it starts to, to slow down that growth, then you need to mow it. So I'm I, most of my recommendations are for an orchard system, I would want you to mow it two to three times at, during the year, but at least once around August when it and starts what, to slow down. What about her combination? So the first combination is super simple. And, and you know, let's talk about what is the point of having a combination? Why don't you just pick one cover crop mm -hmm. and stick with it? You know, why don't you just have all clover or all buckwheat? Why do you suggest that people get mixes and should they buy a ready-made mix or should they buy the seeds and mix them themselves? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you, if you want to do a monoculture, that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. Just understand that those, those grasses are at some point might become dormant because our, so we have cool and warm season grasses. So they might become dormant um, with, with legumes. They might, after a few years, get kind of patchy. We might have to go in and reseed them. Uh, if you have a mix, number one, you're usually having something growing all the time. So even if something is going dormant, there's actually something else growing. Um, and if if you see it where they're, they're kind of backing off, your your seeding is, is dying out a little bit, if you've got something else in there, it's going to hopefully take over. And, and fill in those those um, holes in the system. So that's why we, in a, in, a, in a system like orchards, while having a two different species is a good thing. It's not required. I can, I can work with anybody. If they would rather just do a straight grass or a straight legume, we can do that. Management is easier because you're only dealing with one plant. Um, but it just depends on what you want and how long you want to go between having to replant it or reseed it. A common question that I get, I think Susan, you and I have talked about it before, is if you don't plant a cover crop, weeds will come in. So why can't we just let the weeds go? Why do we need to plant a cover crop? The question, you know, the answer to that is when we, when we put a cover crop, we are actually looking at the benefits of that plant, just not covering that soil. So there's a lot of plants out there that grow, but they may not have any other benefit. They may not be nitrogen fixing. They may not have a lot of biomass that's gonna produce organic matter that's gonna hold that water. And that's why we use cover crops for, that, for those other benefits in the system. So it's a specific science of choice. So just back to Steph from Silver Creek Nursery, she has one combination, classic grass and clover mix. And another one is the hayfield, which has alfalfa and clover. Is she going to get a different experience in with each with the, those two different systems? She probably will. The key is what do you want and how do you want to manage it? If you are comfortable with one system, stick with it. It works for you. 
good. When you do something on um, those old hay mixes with those those um, established alfalfas, they've got quite a deep root. They're going to do a lot in that system. You're going to have to mow it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to manage it. It's going to be you have to manage it a little bit more. Um, it's going to bring in great beneficial insects. It will get spotty as the years progress. You're going to see less and less alfalfa. Alfalfa actually um, pushes away other alfalfa plants. So, I mean, it has an alleliopathic effect on each, on other ones. So, so you're going to have so, to go in and reestablish it. In fact, we probably would tell you don't plant alfalfa in that, that field. Plant wait, else. I don't understand. So alfalfa <clears throat> pushes away other alfalfa plants it's, or alfalfa yeah, plants in general? Yeah, it's got an autotoxicity. It'll push itself away. It, it, it pushes it's, its Oh, so you get big empty spaces in your your planting. Well, but you'll have but you'll have a, a really nice the ones that survive are going to be really nice plants. Oh, oh interesting. So you know, I, I guess when we talk about cover crops in a perennial system, whatever works for you is perfect for you. Yeah, and yeah. that's why everyone is different. Interesting. Okay, we have, okay, so Steph also did see the film, which you haven't seen yet, Christina, Biggest Little Farm, she loves it. I got an email here from Rhonda, and I don't know where Rhonda's from, but she says, love that film, love the show, love your guest, I guess I love everything, so she says, (laughs) I love this, and I love your email, thank you so much, Rhonda, and let's see, I wonder, we've got one more comment here about... Okay, and we've got another comment from Iva. So Iva says, yes, I certainly saw that movie and absorbed all the information I could. It's a great movie, and I talk about it to anyone who will listen. When I saw the name of this podcast, the image from that movie came immediately to mind. The water rushing down and the other other dead land, but soaking deep into the farm soil and filling the aquifer. I have white clover and regular grass in my lawn, but weeds keep creeping into the base of my fruit trees, a constant challenge, but I want the water and nutrients to go to the tree roots and not to feed the weeds. Enjoying the show, Iva. Thank you, Iva. That's great feedback. So, my goodness, yes, you have to see that movie. It's a wonderful movie. You'll love it. So let's talk about choosing your cover crops. Now, somebody could go and start Googling, okay, what are cover crops? I know buckwheat's one of them. What are the benefits? I know, uh, you know, alfalfa is one of them. What are the benefits? Is there a one-stop shop, an easy way to figure out what is the right cover crop for my soil and my conditions? I wish I could say yes that there is a one-stop shop, but there isn't because our climates are, is different everywhere we go. So what you have to do is you have to find that trusted local source. And there's there are cover crop councils throughout um, North America that people can go to. Um, in Michigan, um, we're part of the Midwest Cover Crop Council, and so is Ontario. So there's a group of uh, providences and states that have formed a council, and, and there's information for each state and we actually have a selector tool that you can go in and say what you're growing, you know, when is it growing, what you're, what you want out of the cover crop, and it'll give you pointers on how to grow it, and what you should be using. Um, there are there's a Western Cover Crop Council for the provinces and states in the west side of, of North America. There is the Eastern. There's an Eastern Cover Crop Council. So 
these are groups of farmers, researchers, and extension and um, government officials that, that talk about cover crops and try to figure out how it's going to fit into your rotation. But again, it's a lot of trial and error. Um, and, and for those of you familiar with Michigan, um, we are surrounded by the Great Lakes. And I'm on the western side. I'm on the Lake Michigan side in the northwest part. And what grows for us in Michigan will not grow for those people on the other side of the state, just because we have different climates and we have different soil. Soil really is a key. Different soil types will, will handle cover crops in a different way. Um, and people laugh at me, but I say that in cover, for cover crops, Google is our nemesis. Uh, to just go and Google a cover crop and you, have, you hear all of these wonderful cover crops and how wonderful they are, but you know, it may not work for you. Some, some cover crops are weeds in some states. Um, some growers like hairy vetch. That is a cover crop that is widely used but for a lot, of, a lot of states and a lot of provinces and a lot of crops, it's a weed. It actually will kill seedlings. Uh, so you really have to know what buckwheat is. Everyone loves buckwheat. Actually, it's my least favorite because it's a weed. It's really, once it gets established, you have to be really careful because it'll take over and, and it'll outcompete and kill everything else out. So you've got to really, really be careful in choosing the cover crop and look at what works for you locally for your crop and for your location. So with regards to the, what you mentioned about buckwheat as a weed, mm -hmm. now is our concern in terms of any cover crop choice that if you let these crops go to seed, any of them, it's not going to be a good thing? Um, or, you know, so if we can mow that at least once in the season, preferably let's say three times, and we can control it so that there aren't seeds, then maybe any cover crop is okay and will not be invasive. It can be. You just you need to know the plant. It's a plant. So know the life cycle of that plant. Buckwheat's a weed and so is hairy vetch and other hard seeded plants because once they flower they have a hard seed and that seed is set. So when it flowers you're actually reseeding. They'll, they're only like in Michigan a buckwheat is an, is an annual crop it's warm season, it does not withstand cold weather, it won't withstand a frost. However, if that seed is has been produced and isn't and it's still viable, it'll come up the next year. The same the same with hairy vetch or hard seeds. So you need to know the life cycle of your plant. You're planting that plant. So make sure you know that. Um, things like annual ryegrass, in some states and provinces, it's a weed. It's actually considered an invasive weed. It's resistant to a lot of our chemicals. It will take over. It's really hard to kill. Um, the name is it's an annual, but it will survive if the seed has been set and it will become a weed problem. So you've got to be really careful on that. In a perennial system, it's not normally as big of an issue. We can get some nice perennial plants. We want them there year after year after year, and we're going to manage them for that. I see. Now, um, sorry, I just have to check. I think an email just came in. Nope, it's all good. So, okay, you talked about some of these seeds, they don't survive the winter. Mm -hmm. But sometimes isn't that what we want? So I'm thinking in terms of many of us, like mostly on this radio show, we talk about fruit trees, we talk about permanent plantings, but let's face it, most of us grow our veggies out there and we have our veggie beds. 
And I know for myself, it's like, do I really want to sacrifice a veggie bed for one whole year to grow cover crops? Let's talk about this idea about planting a fall crop that will, how would it work? It would die in the soil and then I, would I have to turn the soil the next year? Tell me about fall crops and the winter. So again, it depends on the crop. So there are some specifically brassicas that we grow, or there's a couple legumes that winter kill. They don't survive a hard winter. And if they do, I always laugh. You can just look at them and yell at them. They're going to die. They're pretty weak in the spring. Um, so some of those, such as a radish, an oilseed radish, um, they, they're actually predominantly water. They're nine, you know, over 90% water. So in the spring, when you go back out there, there's just nothing there. It is a nice, even um, field. You can go in and plant. I've got some of my bulb. We do a lot of um, ornamentals um, farms. So I have some of my bulb farms that they'll, they'll plant oilseed radish after they lift their bulbs to sell. And they'll plant that in the fall. And then they can go back in in the spring and replant right in it without doing any type of management. Because we use some, some of those cover crops, like a radish, we can use them for biotill. They'll actually till the soil up because of their plant, their root system. So those we don't have to do much. Um, there's, we use a lot of oats. Oats are one of my favorite for winter kills. It's a wonderful cover crop. We can plant it in most any soil type. As long as we plant it at the right time, it's going to grow. Uh, and it winter kills, doesn't survive our winters. Uh, when you, and when you go back in the spring, you may have to go in and lightly disc it if it's, because it's, it, when it dies, the plant itself stays, it usually stays erect unless water has washed it down. It's still sticking, there's dead, but it's sticking up. Um, you may have to lightly knock it down, but you should be able to go in and plant in it. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, let's have a few word from our, words from our sponsors and we'll come back because I have quite a few more questions for you. Um, in particular, I want to talk about preparing for a new planting for those of us who are planting new trees. Um, and how would we, how long would it take to get the soil in really great shape for uh, planting uh, using cover crops? So are you okay staying on the line for a couple more minutes? Yes, yeah, I'm oh, good. Great. Okay, wonderful. So coming up, a few words from our sponsors. In the meantime, you are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show, brought to you by the Fruit Tree Education website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm Susan Poisner. We'll be back right after this little break. In healthy soil, there's so much activity going on. Microorganisms thrive, and good bacteria feed on sugars that seep out of plant and tree roots. In return, these bacteria transform nutrients in the soil into fertility that our plants can enjoy. But what if you don't have perfect soil? Those friendly bacteria may not be active, and your plants and trees may not thrive. There is a solution, though. Earth Alive Soil Activator is an organic biofertilizer that contains three carefully selected bacterial strains that will make nutrients in the soil available to your plants. And your plant or tree will thank you with better growth and a better harvest. 
Earth Alive Soil Activator has been shown to boost yields in crops including avocados, grapes, strawberries, and even guavas. Go to EarthAliveCT.com to learn more about it and let our friendly bacteria bring your growing spaces back to life. If you're thinking of planting fruit trees and you're looking for a wide selection of cultivars, consider Wiffle Tree Nursery. Our 62-page full-color catalog includes 300 varieties of fruit and nut trees, berries, grapes, and other edible perennial plants. Not only that, in our catalog, we help you through the selection process with tips and advice about all aspects of growing fruit trees. You could learn about adding nitrogen-fixing plants, rootstock choices, and even about planting a windbreak if you have a windy site. We're a one-stop shop as we sell fruit tree care books, pruning tools, organic sprays, and natural fertilizers. We're located in Alora, Ontario, but we can ship all over Canada. Call us at 519-669-1349 to order your catalog. That's 519-669-1349. Wiffle Tree Nursery. Call us today. Welcome back to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101. To get on board, send us an email right now. Our email address is instudio101 at gmail.com. And now, right back to your host of the Urban Forestry Radio Show, Susan Poisner. You are listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show brought to you by the Fruit Tree Care website, orchardpeople.com. This is Reality Radio 101, and I'm your host, Susan Poisner. My guest today is Christina Curell, cover crops and soil health educator from the Agriculture and Agribusiness Institute at Michigan State University Extension. And we're talking about cover crops and how we can use them to improve the health of our fruit trees and other plants. So we're going to continue talking about cover crops. I've got some great questions coming up. But first, for you listeners, have you entered today's contest yet? To enter is really easy. All you have to do if you're listening to the live show is send us an email with a question, with a comment, or you can send us an email just to say hi send that email to instudio101 at gmail.com and you could win a copy of the book natural gardening for birds create a bird friendly habitat in your backyard by julie zickfus and the editors and writers of bird watchers digest the book is valued at 14 dollars 99 so we're waiting for your email at instudio101 at gmail.com and do remember to include your first name and where you're writing from we look forward to hearing from you. So Christina, we have an email here from Amy. Amy writes, I just purchased a small blueberry farm in Southwest Michigan. On one side of my blueberry bush plot is a shrubby woods. And on the other side is a large pasture populated primarily with grass. What is the best method to get rid of the grass 
and replace it with crops that would attract pollinators. Thank you, Amy. So Amy, if you want to use chemical control, I would go ahead and use some some even some glyphosate and a little bit of 2,4-D. That'll kill all, all of that and go in and, and, and um, plant. If you don't, um, you're going to want to work that soil up. I, one of the things that if, it's a, if it is an established grass system, it might take you a couple of passes of a plow or a disc to break it up, but I would break it all up, level that field, um, and you're going to want to test for fertility. Remember when we're, we're talking about cover crops, it's a plant, it needs food. So test it for fertility if you need to add fertilizer. And I'm going to go out on a limb here uh, and say you might need a little bit. Uh, since it's blueberries, you want a pretty acidic soil already. So it is pretty acidic in that area, so you should be okay, but you may need some potassium. You know, get it tested um, and amend the soil as needed. And then I would plant, if it's blueberries, we're seeing on that part of the state, we're seeing some pretty nice, um, nice stands of blueberries. If you use some white clover, we like white clover because it's slow growing. It's a nice legume. And I would go in with like a short fescue or uh, even a cereal rye. If you use cereal rye, you're gonna wanna mull it. You're gonna have to mull it. But um, that's what I would do. We, I've got quite a bit of experience in blueberries, of course, in Michigan on the west side. And that's kind of what we're doing. And we're, we're happy with it. We are looking at doing some more research in blueberries. Um, so we can have a better understanding of what's better cover crops to use, but that's what I would start with. And the and those cover crops, if you have no experience, they will grow very well for you. Now, I'm glad that Amy asked that question because during the show, we've been talking mostly about planting cover crops in an existing orchard or around an existing fruit tree. But what role, uh, briefly, it's near the end of the show, but what role would cover crops play if we were thinking of planting an orchard or a fruit tree in the future? What could they do and how, how long would it take and what would you suggest to prepare the soil for fruit trees? So even if you have one year or one growing season to prepare that soil for your fruit tree, you can do a lot in that one year. So what I would do is I would start out with doing some, some mitigation in the, in the summer during when, it, when it's warm in the warmer seasons, I would put in some annual warm season grasses. Uh, we have some really good luck with using something like a sorghum Sudan grass or even sorghum and Sudan um, those grasses separate or you can do the hybrid, which is like a Sudex. I would go in and plant that. They are warm season. We plant them in June or July in Michigan. So in warmer, warmer temperatures and you want to mow it. Um, these grasses will get, they will get very, very tall. You want to mow it. And when you mow it, it actually stimulates more regrowth. So what I would, I would do is I would uh, mow it once in after about six, seven weeks, when it gets to be a, a nice appreciable height, mow it, let it grow again, mow it again. And if you're going an organic system, I would mow it right, right down to the ground. I mean, almost butcher it right to the soil for that first year. Then I would follow that with a cereal rye in September or October. Now, when you say following it, we need to till it into the soil. This is not a no-till method. You can you can till it immediately after that. If you can no-till it, perfect. No-till it in. Um, and plant it any way you can. Any anyway, the less but the less 
Remember, the less um, we disturb the soil, the better off we are. You want minimal tillage. Um, but plant, after you take that, that sorghum or Sudan or that warm season grass off, plant a cereal rye or a cool season grass that will overwinter. It's gonna, it's gonna go through the, it's, it'll go through the winter, let it grow in the spring. If you're gonna plant in the spring, go in and plant. You can, you can even not kill it. You could go in and we call it, um, you can bio-till, go where you're gonna plant your trees and just kill or till that area where you're gonna plant your trees and plant in it and leave the rye there. You don't have to kill that rye. It's a perennial, it's gonna come back again. And then your cover crop is already established. Hmm. So you can so you can do that. Um, if you want to wait and plant later in the year, then let that rye grow, mow it, and and just just keep on managing that rye. Because the longer you can keep that grass in the system, the more you're going to build up that soil, the more organic matter you're going to build up. Okay, we have one last question before we end the show. Um, it's from Aldo. Let's see what Aldo's in Toronto. Oh my goodness. So Aldo writes. Crab, crab grass as a cover. I have a problem. <laughs> I have a problem with crab grass growing around my fruit trees. Should I let this grass stay, or continue pulling and tearing this unwanted grass? Thanks. I wish I could say leave it because we all have crab grass. The thing about a weed like crab grass or quack grass. It doesn't have any redeeming factor as a cover. It just grows. It's, it's stealing nutrients and it's stealing water. It's not giving us much any other benefit. That's why we take it out. So I would continue taking out your crabgrass oh, and keep goodness. up that fight. Um, you may want to consider doing something like a mulch, but, but I again hesitate using a mulch around, on, around fruit trees because you might be bringing in pests. Um, just to smother it out, to kill it, anything to kill that grass. Um, otherwise, you'd be weeding forever. Okay, well, and we have one last uh, email from Amy. Amy says, thank you, and I will look into the Midwest Cover Crop Conference mentioned in today's show. Much appreciated. And again, wherever you're located, just go in and type um, Cover Crop Councils, and they're all over, so they'll be popping up. And Fantastic. the resources are everywhere, yes. Now it's time to find out who won the prize. And we have Gary in the studio, and he was the one to keep, keeping notes as to who wrote in. I did. Gary. So let me shake the little container we have here. Good. Get a good shake. And we'll pull, reach one out. And let's see what we have here. This is from... Mike from Saskatchewan. Wow. Congratulations, think, Mike. Congratulations, Mike. I think Mike was the first email was he? today. Yeah. Yes. The early bird gets the worm. There it is. So, Mike, uh, we'll be contacting you to um, forward you your prize. Yep. Yep. The early bird gets the worm. Very relevant for the book, which is a bird book. So he is our early bird. Thank you, Gary. Okay, well, that's it for today's show, everybody. Um, I want to thank you, Christina, so much for spending the time with us. This was really fun. I've learned so much. And um, I will post the podcast up. So if anybody missed any part of the show, you can listen to the podcast. And if there are some links, we might include them in the information when I post the information for this show. So thank you so much. I hope you'll join us again someday. Thank you, Christina. Thank you.
Okay, so this is the end of the show. I would love to ask you listeners a little favor. I don't know if you listen to the show as a podcast, but if you do, you probably get it off a podcatcher. And if you do, I would love it if you could rate this show uh, or put a comment or something. That would be really nice. Um, so please do, if you download it from somewhere, put a nice rating or comment and tell people you enjoy this show. Now, that's it for today's episode of the Urban Forestry Radio Show. Uh, if you want to listen again, if you want to hear our other podcasts, you can go to orchardpeople.com slash podcast. And if you want to learn more about fruit tree care, you can go to orchardpeople.com. There are free articles, there's little ebooks, and I also offer premium courses in fruit tree care. So you can look into that at orchardpeople.com. That's it for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Susan Poisner from the fruit tree care training website, orchardpeople.com. And I look forward to digging into a new fruit tree care topic with you next month. Thanks. listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show on Reality Radio 101. To learn more about the show and to download the podcast where I cover lots more great topics, you can visit orchardpeople.com slash podcast. The show is broadcast live on the last Tuesday of every month. And each time I have great new guests talking to me about fruit trees, food forests, and arboriculture. If you're interested in learning more about growing your own fruit trees or just about living a more sustainable life, go to orchardpeople.com and sign up for my information-packed monthly newsletter. If you like this show, please do like our Orchard People Facebook page. You can also follow me on Twitter at at Urban Fruit Trees. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been wonderful to have you as a listener, and I hope to see you again next time. Thank you for listening to the Urban Forestry Radio Show with your host, Susan Poisner, right here on Reality Radio 101.